Well, welcome back, everyone, to the Whitetail Theories podcast. We have Gabe Denzine and Colin Kitt back on the mics for part two of their hunt swap. So for the loot, for the new listeners, we're going to kind of start from the beginning and establish kind of a little bit of a background and, and the groundwork for this episode. So uh, either Gabe or Colin, do you guys want to kind of just fill us in here real quick of how the first hunt went? Well, let's start out in the very beginning, how you guys got hooked up and then Gabe, how you kind of got worked over in Nebraska, if you want to start there. Sure. So I guess a long time ago, which was actually just this May, I was trying to figure out where in Nebraska I could go. Didn't know what I was doing. And that's how I kind of got hooked up with Serviceide. Long story short, uh, Torin actually sent me a couple contacts, which was Tim and Colin. And I reached out to Tim um, and they gave me some spots to go to. And shortly after that, I mean, this was probably around July, August, we started talking more and I kind of started reaching out to Colin. He's just a great guy and invited me out to come, you know, stay with him. And from there, I mean, I showed up early September and we just started hunting and kind of got along really, really great. From there, I said, you know what, I'll return the favor and bring you to Missouri at some point. Well, now it's October 26. He's been here for four days and we've been hunting in Missouri. So that's the long story short of that. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, Colin, do you want to kind of talk about your background a little bit, how you're from Nebraska, your region where you're from, you're primarily hunting uh, muleys, and very seldomly do you run into whitetails, correct? Yeah, so all the property I hunt, um, it's mainly mule deer every once in a while. I think maybe three times in the 12 years I've been hunting, I've seen whitetail. Um, obviously like on the hoof or any of our properties. Um, so white always kind of been like on the back of my mind. I've always been kind of obsessed over mule deer and hunting them. And then in the past couple of years, I've had like a really big white tail pick where I wanted to go get it done somewhere, but like, I've never had the opportunity to go anywhere to get it done until service side meeting Gabe. Awesome. Okay. So it's really cool hearing like this totally different perspective where it's like, never have I ever really seen whitetails and then had the opportunity to hunt them with how prevalent they are across the entire United States. You just happen to live in a pocket where the population is just super, super low. Uh, so kind of run us through the, uh, logistics of how you guys picked out this time frame. Gabe, if you want to start, how, uh, has this like time what I would call pre getting into pre rut. Uh, how has that traditionally been in Missouri where you're at? So it's honestly across the board, whether because I'm honestly from Wisconsin and Missouri is a little bit further South and every year, no matter what guys say, guys will get on Facebook or online forums and it'll be October 10th and guys will be like, Oh, boxer rut. And they're, they're chasing real hard. Mm -hmm just because they saw, you know, a spike or something like that sniffing dough. And it's, it's not the case. Now I will give people credit that it can fluctuate maybe a week or so, depending on one moon phase to weather. it has recently got not cold, cold. I mean, from Missouri, these guys are freezing, but it's been in the fifties. And that was a sharp drop from the first, second week of October. It was still seventies, eighties. Last two weeks, it's got kind of chilly. It's been upper 30s, low 40s in the evenings at night, and then warming back up in the 50s and maybe 60s during the day. So I would typically say your pre-rut action and year after year after running some trail cameras, just being in the woods, I would say your deer movement really does start picking up towards the 20th to uh, 25th of October, as far as bucks kind of getting on their feet, not necessarily chasing really hard and fighting there. I mean, there has been a lot of posts I've seen guys where they're chasing does and they're posting videos of bucks fighting on Facebook. So you know, it's getting going, but from here, I mean, today's the 26th and this is the next five days from here. I'm just going to start sparking up. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much the same way here in Pennsylvania. Uh, I really think like the 22nd is when things really start to kick off and then it just gets progressively and progressively better. So I assume that is sure. kind of why you uh, tailored 
your trip around this date, Colin, or was this just happenstance? Um, kind of happenstance a little bit. Um, I broke my foot back in July pretty bad and pretty big surgery on that. So on workman's cough, now I have a little bit more time and I wanted to get out here before, you know, I had to go back to a 60, 70 hour work week. Gotcha. Um, so it end up better. Sure. Makes total sure. sense. Take, take for, advantage of that. Yeah. We're originally shooting for like the Halloween weekend. And the funny thing is, so we chose this date. Now, if I had a, a preference, I would honestly bring most guys out here. Well, I guess close guys to me or <laughs> early season reason why is I see, and maybe that's just because of the hunter I am and the style of hunting I do the majority of my deer early season, just because I can pattern them over the summertime. I'm used to where they come out. So I have a better feel for where they are uh, this time in the season. You have deer in specific areas, but you can't bank on, especially hunting public land, whether they're going to show up or not. And that's been the issue we've been facing so far this week is, We've had, uh, we hunt some national forest down here and you're allowed to use trail cameras and we've had pictures at night, but it's very sporadic. It's like every three, four days we're finding deer and the day he showed up in the prior days before that, there was nice shooter bucks and I'm talking one thirties to one fifties on camera sporadically. And of course, once he gets here, it just, we're shot in the dark, hard to find these things. They can move with a group of does somewhere else. They could just be obviously i mean i just don't know where they are but if i had a preference i would have brought them out here in september just because that's kind of my favorite time to hunt if you can get past the bugs the mosquitoes but it just worked out this way also missouri is notoriously known for my philosophy is the best weekend to hunt is always halloween weekend but every year they always have the youth on here which is a good thing i'm all for getting kids in the woods and it's probably the best time for them to see deer activity and get a shot at their first deer or you know first couple deer but i've had him come this weekend but i just didn't if if we're gonna have to compete on public land and have a bunch of youth out there i'd rather just the kids have at it and we'll practice or go out the week before so that's why we scheduled this weekend gotcha gotcha so that youth season is rifle season Yes, it's a two-day rifle season, just Saturday and Sunday, and it's two weeks actual rifle season. Yeah, and, and kind of to re- rewind here a little bit, I think there is something to be said about that early season when you can get on mature deer, uh, one, in their summer patterns, and two, really before the pressure starts uh, taking an effect on them. Uh, I feel like this time period, like you kind of hit the nail on the head there, Gabe, uh, You'll get bucks that are coming out. You'll see it nocturnal. You might see some daytime movement, but there's going to be another seasonal migration where bucks are going to move to their their rutting bedding locations, and that's typically going to be somewhere around uh, a doe bedding location. So you might be in that shift right now. We're getting very close to it. Yeah, and it depends. Like I said, it's different everywhere in the state. In the northern part of the state, guys have seen deer chasing does for the last couple of days. Southern part of the state, guys are still high and dry right now. So it's it's right on that area because we're basically in the center of the continental U.S. Like there's, if you were to make a Mason-Dixon through Highway 70 going straight through Missouri, I'm just on the south side of that. So it's it's really up in the air right now. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. So, Colin, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your expectations, uh, kind of relatively going into Whitetail Hunting completely green. What were you expecting it to be like? Um, to be honest, <laughs> people are probably going to be for this. Um, I was going to shoot the first like year and a half old legal buck that walked by. Mm-hmm. I, I was just like determined, like I'm, I'm going to come here and fill a tag and I'm going to go home. Like I, I just wanted to, you know, get my feet wet with this out of state hunting. This is my first out of state hunt. Gotcha. Uh, and Gabe kind of changed my expectations. I realized I was also really bad at scoring whitetail on the hoof. I was guessing it was like 120, and it was usually like a 140. <laughs> like, oh, that thing's only like 120. Then, I said, no. Wow. It's got nine. I, when it comes to whitetail, I, I can usually get within that you know, eight-inch range of a mule deer on the hoof scoring. But for whitetail, it just throws me a loop for some reason. Um, but yeah, I was going to shoot the first legal buck I saw, and then Gabe kind of talked me to that, like that 120 range is kind of what we've been looking for. Mm. Which – 
in Missouri is is pretty doable for public land. Anywhere from that 110 to 125 is very, very common. If you were to sit for two weeks, I say this, but two weeks straight, morning, night, in those two weeks, you should probably see a, a half dozen of those 110 to 120s. And if you're not, you are in the absolutely worst spot and should rescope. Well, that's the a chain. Yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Colin. Uh, the change of like sitting and hunting really got to me quite a bit. Um, climbing into a tree is probably not my most graceful thing I've ever done. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. Um, I, I look like a baby deer learning how to walk. It's, it's pretty bad. It's pretty shaky. So is this the first time that you've done stand hunting like this? Yeah, it was, it was the first time I've ever climbed in one. So, uh, how, how, what was your setup? Was it a hang on? Was it a, a climber a saddle? Uh, what were you using to hunt out of a tree? Funny you mentioned that we did both. Um, not, not saddle, but I have, in fact, if a lot of guys off the street were to come hunt with me, they'd probably tell me I'm crazy and very aggressive the way I do things. I know Colin was kind of shook when he saw me climbing up and hanging out of the tree and doing, doing stuff where it was kind of making him a little nervous, not saying it, it wasn't anything unsafe per se, but he was, he's used to being on the ground. Me, I've been born and raised climbing trees for the last 12 years. So I'm used to doing whatever I can. And what we do is I always pack in or climb. So my favorite, I obviously have a lone wolf climber, use that for years. Now when we're filming and taking him out with a broken foot and not having a climber that rules that option out. So what my system is, is I actually have three of the Hawk helium sticks, which doesn't matter, just climbing sticks in general. And we just go stick by stick up the tree, set a stick, climb up, set a stick, climb stick, set a stick. And then I'll pull up, uh, I have an XOP hang on that I will pull up on a bow rope, set that stand for him, which would be the shooter stand, I guess is what I'll call it. And then once I have that stand set and secure, I will then hop myself into that stand and then lower my bow rope and who will hook on to my lone wolf climber. I will pull that up. Once I get that to my state to, I guess his stand, I will then offset that a little higher than him just on the backside so I can film and be above him. So then I have to set the climber base, the climber top, climb on his seat, hop onto my climber. Then I got to strap myself in. And next thing is to pull up my now heavy backpack. Cause I, I have a sick uh, cargo box which honestly, I think I'm going to do a video on that because for running and gunning and being mobile in the woods, I found that to be the best backpack. Just it carries climbing sticks, stand, uh, all of my camera gear, everything I could possibly want. Now it's all said and done, probably 50 to 100 pounds on my back, but <laughs> we, we go hardcore with it. So after all that's said and done, so I get basically everything set up, um, get his bow hooked up, and then I have him climb the tree and with a broken, I mean, he's hunting with, one rubber boot on, he's got a muck rubber boot. And then his other boot is a doctor's boot with Velcros. And so it's, it's not ideal for what we're doing. So this kid's definitely a trooper. Are but you, we, are you at least off of crutches? Um, well, actually during our Nebraska hunt was the first time I actually walked without crutches when we stalked a whitetail. And oh. then so I've been off crutches. I had finally got off the crutches mid September like all the way. So now I'm just relearning how to walk and use my leg. Wow. Wow. I went months without walking. So like, like physical therapy, for example, if they put a 10 pound weight on my leg. I can barely lift it up. That's so crazy. A little bit of a struggle getting in and out of trees. And I, I can it, imagine. I was just going to say, and Gabe's got you climbing in and out of uh, trees where, when you're relatively new at it, but Hey man, go, go after it. Uh, don't hold back. Right. Yeah, my doctor said this would be my best my best therapy I could do was just keep going hunting. So I took that as a good thing and pushed pretty hard while I've been broken, I guess I could say. Nice. So uh sorry to interrupt um, you there, Gabe. Go if you want to finish your setup. Yeah, I was gonna go back to hit on why guys would think I'm crazy for how I set up because we actually we sit in the morning. I mean, we try to wake up about two and a half hours early. So if it was shooting light by about seven, seven oh five is what it's been here. We were waking up at 4.30, pulling into the parking lot by 5, 5.30, and it'd be, it'd be about 5.30. And then between the, you know, 10 to 
you know, we didn't have a walk. That was probably more 15, 20 minutes. No. But if I was to get at the base of the tree at 545, we were never fully set up until 645, 7 o'clock. That's how long it takes you. Set climbing stick, climb up, set another climbing stick, do all that stuff, pull up three different items, set two stands. And then I have to do bow hangers, safety harnesses, all that stuff that goes in just to sit for two to four hours. And we didn't even have a four-hour sit per se. Just I had yeah. to get to work on Monday and Tuesday. And it was – I mean, it's it's pretty crazy, the stuff that we do. And the funny thing was um, – Colin never being a tree stand. Now I feel bad because this is the worst time for him to experience being in a tree stand. One, you have to get, I guess I'll relay this to like, if you were sailing, they call it sea legs. You know, you have to get out on the boat. You have to get used to what it's like to be on the ocean. Same thing with the tree stand. First time up there, you need to know how to balance, how to just be comfortable in the stand overall, know your limits with your safety harness, where you can lean, where you can stand, stuff like that. You know, he's doing this with a boot and the first tree we sat in wasn't super ideal because it's Missouri. There's hardly any straight trees because we're all hunting ridges here. So they always slope downhill. So one person is going to be stand up in the air, lean against the tree. And the other person is going to be stand tip down a little bit. And I feel bad because this was always the stand tip down. And he was scared for his life. (laughs) But I couldn't support myself with my bad foot. I don't know how much feeling in it now. So like there's no balance. And the bottom of these doctor prescribed boots don't have very much grip. They're pretty smooth rubber. So it was like, and we probably could have set up a lot faster if I would have done my part, but I was too terrified to like screw in the bow hangers and the pack hanger. And so, I mean, it worked out in the end. We didn't do a whole lot of hand holding, but at the same time, when I was out in Nebraska, I mean, he guided me the best he could, taught me a lot of stuff that I didn't know myself. So it goes hand in hand. My right. experience mule deer hunting on the ground with him. I mean, I could have a perspective when I went out there, but in the last podcast, I talked about how everything changed and 95% of the stuff that you think about going out there, just toss out the window because you're going to learn on the fly. And it was the same thing for him here. That's, that's super cool. And like from an outsider's perspective where I'm at, like it, and having done both podcasts, it's really cool how, like, like what you just said, Gabe, you go in with the perspective, but then the real, and actualization of that situation is nowhere near what you thought it was going to be. And you basically need to relearn hunting when you thought you were in a situation where you could relatively put it together on your own. You know what I mean? Absolutely. That's, that's exactly what it was. And that's just being able to adapt is, is the big thing. If you go out there and you're dead set in, this is how things have to be done. You're not going to change my mind. You are going to crash and burn very hard. Yeah. It's like, like when we were setting stands, like picking out spots, I wasn't even noticing the same trails that Gabe noticed. Cause like when we see trails for mule deer, it's, it's super obvious. We're in that short pasture grass. It's dry. If they are walking through there quite often, I mean, it's all matted down. There's nothing left. It's super easy to see. And like here, I, I had a hard time noticing any of the trails. Um, the amount of rubs and scrapes you see is crazy. Cause that's not really something you get with mule deer. I mean, you'll get a few rubs here and there, but that's, and that that's actually funny i'll hit on that because he was we hunted a river bottom on the ground actually the first day and then second night and we went and walked the river as the woods was only about 60 yards from the levee is what i'll call it to the actual river edge. And this is right on the missouri river so i mean it's big muddy and there's always runways that it's because it's a funnel natural pinch point this is stuff that's second nature to me and i don't even talk about because most people that white tail hunt know okay if there's a woods here field here river there uh the obvious trail and travel point or travel corridor for them would be on some runway in between the river and the field that out of his mind it's just i guess he wasn't used to it and that's that's not a bad thing and we were just kind of showing him what that stuff looked like and we walk in on the one runway i found that was pretty i'll call it carved is what i call it just a really beat down runway and there was uh, a few scrapes and so we probably found five or six and probably a dozen rubs. And he was like, Holy cow, this is a lot of deer sign. And I was just kind of chuckling. Cause I mean, I've seen spots when you get first week, November, I mean, even in Pennsylvania, probably you can go to spots and you'll see 30 rubs and 15 scrapes in one area. And it's, it's beat down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's really like, for me, it's super refreshing hearing this and doing this podcast where it's like, somebody's looking at like whitetail hunting, completely new and like with fresh eyes you know what i mean like was it the same way for you gabe like 
kind of refreshing to, to see Colin's experience. Yeah. And for me, it was, um, I kind of related and I don't, this also not in a bad way, but in perspective, I have taken out in my experience, young hunters where I was 19, 20, 21 years old, taking out cousins, um, just people age 12, 13, 14, younger hunters that just don't have the woodsmanship as well, call it. And it's not a bad thing knacking on them. It's just out of lack of experience. You are not quite sure what to look for. You're kind of unprepared. There's just little stuff that you and I, Torin, have grown into develop second nature right. and stuff like being quiet while we're out in the woods, not moving in a tree stand and, and just stuff like that where you don't think about them much as you're used to. And then you, you go on hunt and realize, okay, these are all things that you would have to mention or teach someone. It's kind of a good chuckle. I mean, we laughed about it because I was like, I always figured stuff like this would be second nature, but at the same time, like you can't expect that you're taking a brand new person that has never done this before. You can't expect, don't, don't expect more from someone like that. I mean, Colin did great out here for having a broken leg. I mean, this guy was walking just fine. He was climbing up trees. I mean, this, this, this kid did great. So Colin, walk me through, uh, your first morning's hunt, uh, kind of what your expectations were and like how you were feeling, what you were seeing, like that, that whole aspect, walk me through that. I think like the first morning, the spot we went to that riverground property, it had a lot of CRP. So I could kind of like relate to it a little bit. We had a lot of CRP with mule deer, but then you like, you get to the woods part of it and where I'm from in Nebraska, there's, there's not woods. Like the most trees we have is like little cedars in the pasture. It's like when I got to the woods part, I'm like, you can't see anything in there. And what I thought was deer for the longest time was actually the squirrels, <laughs> which like, <laughs> I, I, I think the whole, like, so you're ever doing the hook, I've seen like four squirrels. So oh. me, I don't know how a squirrel sounds like a deer, but I'm not a fan of squirrels anymore. <laughs> Dude, you're not and alone, man. Weird. You're not alone. I, I always like saw like the memes, you know, people complaining about squirrels with whitetail hunting. And I like, I kind of got like, okay, maybe they make it like a sound like a deer. Like maybe but I figured like little animal, big animal, you can pick it apart and you really can't even tonight sit like trying to pick apart what could be a deer or what, a, what, what's a squirrel. Like it was crazy. It's just a bunch of broken dreams that were, you get ready. I'm reaching for his bow thinking it's go time. Out hops this gray squirrel at 30 yards. Just about to shoot the squirrel. <laughs> like This is hilarious. Cause you know, I'm, I'm used to it. Me, I still get tripped up sometimes on what's a deer or a squirrel. Mm-hmm. Now, pattern squirrels, because they, they, they dig when they walk and they kind of hop. And you can just kind of tell by listening to the rhythm of how they move what it would be. And deer are kind of consistent or it's maybe a noise here and then they're very silent and a noise there. That's how you pick apart deer. That it was so funny just to watch. We'd sit down and his head would just fly, you know, to the left. And, you know, when you hear a deer, you should slowly turn your head. His head's fly. And he's like, oh, there's going to be a deer. It's, it's a squirrel. Yeah. Well, the first thing was nice is we got we got to a spot on that um, that levee there. And we could glass by the way into that TRP. So it kind of reminded me of home. But then I realized once we saw our first deer that day is that whitetail move a lot faster when they're, like, when they're going somewhere. So, like. The deer we did see were like flying to the field. I mean, they're like, they're still like 800 yards away, but like a mule deer usually have like a couple of seconds to look at least. They usually aren't running unless they're, they're usually, you know, a medium pace walk. So it gives me some time to like figure out what they're doing, where they're going, and try to get in front of them. But I realized the white tail, like, it was like as soon as they're in open ground, they're moving as fast as they could to the stuff that was super thick that we couldn't hunt again. Like that, you can't get in there. You're not going to get a shot even if you got in there. So, so that was a big change for me in that open ground. So, uh, Gabe, were they were they just transitioning through that CRP from one like from one security cover to another? So we got set up on the levee. So to give you guys a visual perspective of where we were at, uh, it's a river. I guess this piece is three hundred acres, and uh, I'd say seventy percent of it's CRP. The other half is cut corn, standing corn, a beautiful clover field, alfalfa, and some beans that were still standing. So it's a bunch of crop fields kind of stacked on top of each other that you can see into. And then CRP from the road all the way to the field. So it's kind of hidden, which is why I like this spot. 
And we sat in the back on a levee watching this whole thing. And we were just kind of watching deer transition from point A to point B. And when he's hitting on these, these deer running, they weren't necessarily, they weren't like full out sprint, like spooked. But if you get a deer on a mission, I mean, they, they move, they're not walking step, step, step. I mean, they kind of trot, they'll stop and, you know, put their head down, maybe graze a little bit, stop, go, stop, go. I mean, it, they can get 300 yards in a matter of a minute. I mean, it's just, or two minutes. It just didn't take very long. And towards the end of our sit, it was like 930 in the morning. And from the opposite side of the property, of course, we watched uh, deer in the beans and then another deer in the beans. Both of them were does. And they transitioned themselves from the woods through the bean field about 150 yards and then into the CRP and it kind of dropped down where we couldn't see them anymore. And we actually sat there just watching because the way they were navigating through the beans, um, whitetails are notorious for when they look back, sit down and pay attention because you know something else is coming. So they did seem spooked, but they obviously weren't walking very slow. So I had two mindsets, whether one, maybe they got bumped by a coyote or two, a buck is chasing them, and number two was right on the dot. We waited, what was it, five? Five minutes. It was a little late. You'd expect it to come out maybe 30 seconds or so after, but it was five minutes. And when does carry themselves and they walk, typically their head's always up, and they're just kind of looking around, paying attention. And the next year that came out, head was up, then head was down, and walked about 10 yards, head down, lifted its head up, stopped, put its head back down. I knew right away it was bug. Excuse me. But of course we're 600, 70, you know, hundred yards away. And I'm trying to film through my camera and get it on video. We got it on video as far as buck size. It was probably a two and a half year old, which is why granted that was the first day. What was that? The 22nd, 20, 22nd or 23rd, 22nd, whatever that morning was, it was early yet. So obviously a mature deer is probably not going to be chasing super hard, but it was a buck and he was just trying to get after whatever he could. Hmm. So we, him, and then, of course, once you get your deer that's actually trying, then whitetail's notorious for having the wannabes, which are all the year and a half year olds. So then another deer comes out, super small body, just chasing after the the two year old buck. And we we're trying to zoom in with the by now. I think it was a spike, but I mean he was trying to just follow up and claim whatever he could. It's kind of funny. So uh keep going, uh Colin. Walk us uh through the rest of your day. So then after that, we actually, we were debating what to do. So we moved down to the, a different corner of that levee and found a couple more good side rails. And then we went, we tried to glass the other side of that field for a while in that tree road where they ran out of. And we kind of went down behind the levee into the woods. And that's where we found all those, that first set of like the rubs and the scrapes and right next to the river. What I thought was like 10 deer, which is probably actually one now that I've learned about whitetail. (laughs) I mean, we basically just did some exploring. That's what it was. We hunted for about three, three and a half hours that morning, maybe four max. And then I just kind of walked him through showing him what the deer sign would look like and kind of explaining why it was a travel corridor and um, whitetails notoriously during the rut will use rivers as a travel corridor specifically to scent check. And what I mean is there's a boundary on one side and deer do cross that river. It's a giant river, but not idly will they cross that. So you've got to use that to your advantage, knowing that if you're sitting here or looking here, this has to be the route that deer go and they're going to scent check for does. And it may take uh, six hours. It may take 12 hours. In fact, it may take three days by the time one of those bucks goes through, makes his scrapes, makes his rubs until the time he comes back the opposite direction to recheck those stuff. So I think we were honestly in between days that some of the rubs were really fresh, meaning as the leaves are falling, there was still shavings from the rub on top of the leaves. And then some of the scrapes had maybe one or two oak leaves sitting in them, but it was fresh dirt kicked up probably from that night, honestly. And that was our debate where are we going to hunt over these because they're super fresh, but then you have that debate where, are they going to come back today? Are they going to come back tomorrow? We just didn't know. And because we were short on time, we only gave it one other day before we switched up to a different style of hunting. So, uh, Colin, what, what were your impressions of stand hunting uh, since this was your first time? Did you think it was boring? Um, like, did you kind of like it just potentially the difference of it? Whereas, like, from where you come, you're you're mostly kind of like have that run and gun style where – 
you're either glassing them up and then going after them, making a play, or or constantly moving. Um, it was, I, I wasn't sure. I kind of thought going into this, I'd be like, okay, it's going to be boring sitting there for hours. Um, I thought it would be a lot better getting into the stand than I was. I was like, okay, you're on a platform. It's solid. It's going to be fine. I've done rappelling with the army. I've done zip lining stuff. I'm like, okay, I'm not scared of heights. But for some reason, like climbing up the stand really sketched me out. But I was like, okay, I just got to get up to the platform and I'll be good. And then I realized like I got to the platform and it only got worse. And like trying to get myself hooked in. And I was like, I think I mentioned the game at one point, like I had to sit down. It's like, I couldn't keep my balance on the sand when it's tilted down. So I think at one point I was like, I'm just going to bring a ratchet strap tomorrow and ratchet strap my waist to the tree. <laughs> and and he's wearing a full body harness, you know, that you gop into, it goes around your legs, around your waist, around your shoulders, and then straps into the tree. But for me, that's why it was kind of weird to watch that first morning. I was, I was super confused. I'm like, how is this going the way it is? But I was, I was thinking from a perspective of a whitetail hunter that's been doing this for mm. 12 years. My first time seeing a tree stand, I was 10 years old. By 11 years old, I was on my own, obviously within a few feet of my dad, climbing trees in a lone wolf climber. I just learned the rope super early and it was second nature for, for me. But in my perspective, at 10 years old, I probably re- didn't realize at the time, but I realize now that when I was 10 years old, I was Colin and my dad was me. I'm sure he had to sit there and coach me through the same way that I was coaching Colin. And it just kind of sparked up, not quite like a bell ringer, but just the light went off. Like, okay, my dad had patience and went through this with me at some point. I have no issue taking Colin through this because once you get him through the baby steps, if he wants to come back late season or we start doing this again next year, he's already got his feet wet and he's going to be good to go. Right. Yeah. There's a big difference from like, those hits to like last night, last night, like I was still shaky getting up and down and getting some stuff set up, but I was a lot more comfortable to sit there and like stand up and sit down. It was this progress. And in your defense, Colin, and, and when I laugh, like I, I'm not making fun of you. I just, I, I think oh, this no, ex- I'm not offended at all. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> I think this experience is super, super cool. And like, I, I'm loving that hearing these stories. So it's, it's like you, somebody that's never swam before or been around water and you throw them in a, a swimming pool in the deep end and like, here, go swim. Like, of course it's going to be like super awkward, but the more and more you do it and not to mention you had like a banged up foot. So that didn't help the situation either. So, yeah. 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 Um, and, and, and again, in your defense, uh, those uneven platforms for somebody that's not really used to being on a stand can be very very tricky like i know i have a couple friends that like the platform has to be perfectly level or they can't get on in the stand and they've been hunting whitetails on and off their their entire life so yeah and that kind of goes into into perspective i i can blame myself for that but at the same time half your whitetail population or even a 30 whitetail population that hunt, I guess not white population, whitetail hunter population hunts private land and they can preset stands and stuff like mm-hmm. that, where very simple. They don't carry in all the gear that we do. They just show up 20 minutes before light, climb up their ladder stand and sit in and they're good to go. This is a completely different style from that. This is mobile hunting, run and gun, pack in, pack out. No one knows where we were. No one knows that we were there. Stuff like that, just so we can stay on top of new spots and be mobile in the woods. And I've done this for so long. I mean, man, I've sat in some sketchy stands. Like if you know anything about sitting in a climber, you know that the first step is at the base of your tree. You now have to judge how high you want to go in the tree. And that bases how you set your stand. The higher up you tip your stand, the higher you have to go for it to level out. Sometimes you climb up 10 feet and realize, oh, I didn't set my stand high enough. And now it's tipping down. So you either have to climb down and reset your base or deal with it. And I was always that impatient guy that just dealt with it. And I've sat in stands that were tipped up way too high. And I sat in stands where if you weren't strapped in, you're probably going to fall out, which I don't recommend this to anyone, but I've just been in a lot of those situations. So stuff like that doesn't bother me a whole lot now, but in Colin's perspective, I mean, I probably just threw him into the fire. So like yeah. tonight was though, cause we had the harness was like the rope that we attached to whatever strap put around the tree, whatever it's called that held my harness up. Yeah, just the safety belt. It was a lot. It was a lot tighter, which actually made me feel a lot better. 
because like on the previous days when they were leaning down, like I had to go forward quite a ways for it to feel like it was actually doing anything and it wasn't sitting there loose. Like the tire where Gabe was almost worried about it, like it was gonna like choke me or be in my way, actually built a lot of confidence in that. So I don't know if anybody's new to like stand hunting, I think that would help. So is that you're talking about the tether being relatively taut to your body. So yes. you can yeah, feel yes. tension almost the entire time. Yeah. Yes. That's when he was comfortable is when he had tension the whole time, just because I understand that you feel strapped to the tree, which with my setup, I, and I'm not condoning this either. Uh, I don't actually have a full body harness. What I have is those old, it's a two way safety harness. So you have the safety belt that loops to one tree. Then there's like a six inch, since in uh, six inch gap of thread, or I guess a belt. And then it attaches to another loop that you put around your waist or I guess under your armpits. And I'm always attached to the tree. It's almost like a saddle where once it's tight, I, I feel like, like a king in the tree. I mean, I can lean off, I can do whatever I want. Cause I'm always hundred percent attached to the tree and I can always feel that when you're in a full body harness like that, unless your tether is tight, you don't feel attached to the tree. Right. Right. Yeah. Now, Colin, do you think that would have been weird if you would have had a drawback and take a shot? So <laughs> the first time, <laughs> the up. first time that we sat in the stand, I didn't draw back at all. I like, I didn't even want to take a package. So I'm like, I'm just gonna wait for the adrenaline from buck to hit. And I'm just going to do it and not think about it. <laughs> the second time we sat in the stand, I was still tilted down. I got to tilt down more than the first time. And I, and I, and I actually told him, I said, I want you to draw your bow back just so I can see whether, cause, cause if you can't draw your bow back and aim, and pivot on a stand to get different shots. There's no point being in this tree. We might as well be on the ground. So I guess I'll let Colin go through my, my story. <laughs> my first time trying to draw the bow, I was sitting there shaking like crazy. And I was like trying to like put my good foot, which is my left foot, that's at the front of the stand because all my shots were going to be to my like my right and off that shoulder. And so I was like trying to use that foot and try to hold myself up on the stand and lean against the tree at the same time to try to keep my weight back. I think I got like half drawn and I like shook so bad. My arrow almost fell off the rest and I had to let down. And I was sitting there like, Oh no. And the second time actually I got pulled back and it was all right. It actually calmed my nerves quite a bit knowing that I could do it, Mm -hmm. but it was definitely shaky. And like the setup we had the past two times I could have drawn back without a problem. Yeah. He uh, Tonight's sit, granted, it was the last sit. It, it was it was just fine. There were, there was no issues with anything he was doing, which is great, but also kind of sucks because obviously now he's got it down, but the hunting is over. But that's not a bad thing because when he comes back, we won't hopefully have to go back to square one. Well, I'm just going to go buy a tree stand and practice with it. Actually, I think I'm going to switch to a saddle because with like repelling and stuff, we always had harnesses like that that you like sit in. So I think I'd feel a lot more comfortable in a saddle. Where I feel like I'm only strapped, like into it and, and attached. And that that constant um like contact that you like, you have that with a yeah. saddle. So you yeah, can feel that, what, that tension the whole time. That's kind of why I want to lean towards a saddle is just that constant tension. Like I know I'm attached and I don't have to worry about like falling off or losing my balance. Well, and I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, for what you guys were doing, if you think about it, Gabe, like if, if Colin was to run a saddle and you were to run a hang on, you could run one set of sticks. Colin could cover one half of the tree and then you could cover the other half of the tree. It should. Absolutely. It should split it, it, your uh, setup time in half. Yeah, we thought about that, too. And honestly, I'm under the debate. I didn't do it this year just because I have my climber. I use the XOP. I love it for the type of hunting I do. I mean, I move around so much. I honestly think a saddle is going to probably be better for me next year. So whether I switch to a tethered or a latitude or something like that, I probably will add to the arsenal. But I will always keep my climber, always keep my hang on for this situation where Mm. if people out and I need a stand or to double sit and film, I have options, which is kind of funny because bringing back to Colin's mule deer perspective, I don't think when he came out here that he realized how many different approaches to hunting whitetail you can have. Right, right. So, uh, kind of getting back on track here. I, I love, I love the rabbit holes, by the way. But uh, keep keep walking us down um, how the hunting trip's going. That or the the third sit when we sat at um, that first stand. The yeah, so we crawled up in the morning and we got to the edge of a field. We sat in the woods about 20 yards and it was a spot that I chose out, meaning that 
I knew you couldn't shoot great. And by that, like your max shot was 25 yards. But at the same time for Colin and his situation, I knew that would probably be a good bet to get his feet wet and just get him introduced in how a whitetail is supposed to be. Because I honestly asked him this question and I asked him, what's the closest you've ever shot a deer at with your bow? And he said, what, 50, 52. 52 yards was the closest shot he's ever taken. And Holy when you talk, crap, man. That's when, you, so when you talk to a, when you talk to a whitetail hunter, a lot of people will tell you the farthest shot they've ever taken in a whitetail is 40, 45 yards. Yeah. So that was the goal was to just get deer within 10, 20 yards and hopefully get a shot. And we had, honestly, this is going to be good filming them when the video drops two does and a fawn come out, just a nubby buck. And they came into 10 yards and it was kind of crazy watching Colin just cause these deer are right there. We had a lot of cover and backdrop. So they didn't see us. Didn't know we were there. We watched a nubby buck moan its mom, which was super, I mean, the film was good. It was kind of crazy how that ha- happened. I think it just, it almost like scared me a little bit because like games like deer and I'm like looking around and I can't see anything. Like I have a, t- I have a really hard time spotting these deer in the woods, which I think is because I've, I've always been so used to looking for bodies out and, you know, draws and thick stuff like that, that they stick out a lot more. It's like they blend into the woods so much when those doe come out and he was like deer. And I was like trying to grab my bow and looking around for these deer. And I couldn't see them until they were about 10 yards in front of us. And he's used to noticing deer standing or bedded down objects that are contrast. And me, I, when I whitetail hunt, I look for movement. So I literally, and I saw everything natural in the woods and pointer for you guys listening to the podcast, everything that's natural in the woods will grow vertically. And that means up and down, maybe curved to the left, maybe curved to the right, just a little bit, but deer's bodies are always horizontal to the ground. And when you see the contrast of that movement, you should know right away at the snap of your fingers, okay, that's a deer. And I saw the movement right away at, and they were only at like 35 yards. I said, deer, deer. And it took them about 10 seconds until they got to about 20 yards before I could see it, which was still kind of amazing to me. It's like they kind of came out right funny. <laughs> yeah, and I was like looking everywhere. I couldn't see it. I, I I'm just, like, don't move, don't move, don't move. They're right here. He's like, where? And then he's like, oh, oh, I see. So, yeah, Colin, what's scary to me? What what's the what's the closest you've had deer uh, to you? I mean, I've had so like hunting the rut with muleys. Um, I've been a lot closer to a lot of bucks. I mean, within that twenty yard range, but a lot of that was like they were moving or they're bedded and I snuck up there and it was always, you know, it always seemed to be a buck when I got that close. It was one that I, I wasn't willing to take. Mm-hmm. Like when I mule deer, I always look for 150 or bigger as I won't shoot anything under 150. I'd rather shoot something in the 160, range. Um, but it always seems like I've gotten into 20, 30 yards of a lot of those younger bucks thinking they're bigger. And I think like a lot of like, I got a lot of adrenaline from those does coming because when I knew those bucks were there and when I stepped up on those herds, like I had plenty of time to sit there and think about it. And I was calm. I knew what I was going to see. Like I knew what I was getting into. And then coming here, it's just like they disappear out of thin air and you're never ready for it. Dude, that's wild, isn't it? And like that, I, that happens to me to like this day. And I've been hunting whitetail since I was 12. Like, even even on a day where it's like super crunchy in the leaves and you think you can hear them coming from a long ways away, they can just, like you said, appear out of thin air, literally right under you. And yeah, and it's, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like all those squirrels made all those noise and those does didn't make a sound coming in. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, they're light on the hoof is I guess what I call it, literally. And deer, when they walk the runways, they're very sneaky about sometimes they'll mess up and step on a leaf or a stick and you'll, that's, that's how you get your idea. Okay. Something's happening. Cause you get that initial sound, that icebreaker. And these does actually came in, they didn't make a sound, but they were walking on the dirt and watching them come in. They were specifically choosing their steps to avoid leaves and just walk on whatever dirt was on that runway, which was kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It, so. it's a, it is wild how they can sneak around. Um, so, Anyway, continuing on with your hunt, this this is great. I'm loving this. So we hunted that spot with those does, and I think we sat for a couple hours after they popped in, or an hour after. Yeah, it was in. about an hour after, and that was that was was that Sunday or Monday? That was Monday. So actually, I'm gonna backtrack just a touch. And so Saturday, we were on the ground all day at that at that spot next to the river. 
Sunday we had tornadoes, terrible storms here in Missouri, which was crazy. So we actually didn't even go out Sunday morning because we had 30 mile an hour winds and it was storming. And we went out in the afternoon to that same spot, sat through what probably nobody should sit through. I mean, we had clouds and and rain and started blowing sideways. And we said, as soon as it started, we got up to leave and miraculously whitetails, we wait for them before the storm thinking they're going to move. Nope. The second it starts raining and blowing sideways, all the deer run out to the field and start eating. And we had these does like they got into 50 yards probably. And we're filming them. They can't see us because the rain's blowing sideways. There's lightning everywhere. I mean, it was definitely a crazy experience for him because he had no idea that there'd be deer moving in this crazy weather. Yeah. Like, I mean, and where I live in Nebraska, we don't get a lot of rain. I mean, we're pretty famous for being in a drought. So, and when, when it does rain, our roads get so trashed, you can't even go out to hunt anyway. So it's never really a thing for me to be out there when it's storming. So just, just that portion of the hunt, honestly, that kind of made my trip just experiencing that. And then once the storm was done, it was, thunder lightning clouds on one side of us and the other side beautiful pink sunset that's just stuff we we're in nebraska and we got a lot of pretty sunsets but it was definitely something unique for him to go and experience and that was sunday evening but when we tried to leave that evening to get back on the, that sand road to walk back to the pickup oh yeah then we, we honestly have a montana decoy that that we picked up and he stalked a doe up to like 20 yards and didn't know, put it, crp on both sides of the road and the night before we'd seen a deer cross that road while we're walking through it and it didn't see us somehow. And it was the same scenario the next night. And this doe like went back in the CRP. So I even like crossed down. I, I'm six three, so I'm pretty tall. So it was like the tallest deer that deer's probably ever seen <laughs> right in front of me. And we, we fast walked up to her like 20 yards before she ran. We just wanted to see what would happen. Mm-hmm. So I, that was a good chance for him to study whitetail and just pay attention. I mean, I'm not, saying go scare all your deer and do that. But when you try different stuff, whitetail hunting, like I said earlier, there's so many different approaches to how you can hunt whitetails that a lot of people that aren't familiar with whitetails don't realize you can do. I think what got me was like when whitetail run, they're not very loud. So like when a mule deer goes to run, they, they bounce, right? So when a mule deer bounces, it's actually extremely loud. Like it, it almost scares me if you're really close. I've, I've pheasant hunted and busted deer out of like, a cedar tree row before and it'll be a doe but when they bounce it's like it's super loud when they hit the ground and when they spring off again and then white completely different story it's like you don't even hear them unless they hit like a branch or something on a tree yeah and when they take off they take off fast it's like those old scooby-doo scooby-doo's those hannah barber ones where they start to run and their legs are moving a mile a minute while they're still in the same spot and they don't they stop they take they don't off at like 40 yards after they start running no, they run into the hills you'll do always give you that second look but white tail are just, they're gone. Don't see them again. Colin, let me ask you this. Um, how do you think that you would fare hunting white tails, bringing your uh, Midwestern tactics, Western tactics here and kind of doing that run and gun game? Um, I think it could work. The, the super wooded arrow areas, probably I, I wouldn't be able to use. Can't see far enough and you're too loud walking through there. Um, even with high did what I do it in Nebraska and I just wore my socks, took off my boots and really got sneaky with it. I think kind of in the area we were, if the CRP wasn't so tall, it's doable. Um, it'd be a lot more of moving and sitting for a while than moving and sitting for a while. And I think I could get it done that way, but with its rain the way it is here, a lot of places we hunted, I couldn't have done it with all the woods and what was open was too open. It would just be like flat bean fields and stuff where there's no cover to get behind. Mm-hmm. What about with a with a decoy? Um, I think if it was like mid rut and they're really going hard, there's a couple areas like that first area we hunted. We probably could have done a little bit of stalking yeah. with a decoy, and I probably could have got it done that way. Um, yeah, as long as it's stuck to the open areas and rut would really help with a decoy. I think it's definitely doable, and I, I, at some point. I'm going to try to find a little bit of whitetail stuff in Nebraska. And I want to try it this year with the rut coming and just see if I can do it just to, you know, challenge myself and open more hunting opportunities for myself. For sure. For sure. Gabe, do you have, do you have a strong enough rut down there that, um, and, and a low enough pressure or at least places where you have low enough pressure that you can get to that type of habitat and utilize 
decoying and calling and that kind of stuff and hunt like you did in uh in nebraska yeah that's what i tried to do the first day and a half just so i could kind of get his feet wet for him to experience it and still kind of be familiar and feel at home with the style of hunting he knew i was trying to just intertwine the two and i do a lot of e-scouting and i find spots that a lot of people don't know exist which is kind of funny because i live in a pretty heavy populated town and all the local conservation areas just get pounded in the last two weekends you go to these spots and there's three, four campers just at all of these spots and there's guys all over the woods. And I, as much as I scout and try to pattern whitetails, I do a lot of people patterning, not saying I stalk them, but I really pay attention to where people are going, where people aren't just so I can get a good perspective on if I know where people are at, the odds are that these deer know people are there as well. So I just kind of pick out those areas where guys aren't and it. I guess it does take a lot of effort trying to find those, but I somehow have a knack for getting away from people. Like this last place we hunted, I think the deer population is lower, but like the quality of deer is way higher, like buck wise for sure. Yep. And another thing in Missouri is a lot of these conservation areas are archery only, which is why it attracts guys. There's also planted food, corn fields, bean fields, sunflower fields, a lot of uh, food for these deer to eat so people go and hunt them and think they have a better chance which is true there's a lot of deer there there's a lot of nice deer there and we hunted national forests just the last two days and i don't want to throw this out there but it doesn't get a lot of bow pressure in certain areas there's if you can gun hunt it so during the rifle season yeah it gets pounded by guys because you can't hunt those conservation areas with a rifle but during the bow season i we never saw a vehicle the entire weekend we never saw anybody else we were left alone wow so we're working on an hour here. Um, there are any other things that you guys want to touch on before uh, we we start wrapping up here? As far as the rest of the hunt goes, we went this morning, we went tonight, kind of sat the same spot. We actually were smart and just, we knew we wanted to hunt that spot because there's a lot of good deer sign and we had seen some bucks prior before he got here. And I just left the stands up this morning so it was easier to get into tonight. And we just didn't have the best of luck today. The wind was different from yesterday. Yesterday it was straight out of the west, northwest, and today it was straight east at 12. I mean, it's right now it's 15, 20 miles an hour outside. So that's it's not in our favor when you're working with short periods of time. Like he, we knew today was his last day, and we just kind of got crapped out by weather. Granted, we did have a buck show up at about 80 yards in uh, an open spot next to us right at dark, but the snort we wasn't he wasn't have on it. Snort, it was, it was just he just like turned around and went back into the woods. And we 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 had made it because it was his last night. Really, like, you know what? This is gonna be good. Let's just go after it. And he was he was out eating in the that open area in the grass. And I figured I'm like I'm just gonna give it a shot. So I just snort wheeze. And he looked he looked right in our direction. Granny he couldn't see us. And I just watched his tail slowly go up. And he was kind of studying and getting a feel for it. And nah, he didn't want the smoke. I, was, my my western tendencies took over there because I can't get out of the tree. Yeah, he was literally like, I'm going to crawl on the tree. I'm going to go stalk this thing. I'm like, dude, by the time you start climbing down, it's going to hear the sticks break. It'll be gone. <laughs> it's kind of funny just hearing those because it's, you know, you really got to have an open mind because these are two different styles of hunting completely. Spot and stalking in open country versus tree stand hunting in the woods. They're so different. The wind. So I guess the wind is something I didn't think of that I didn't mention. Um, if I get like a 12 to 15 mile an hour wind, I'm going to make sure I'm hunting with my spot and stock out in the open country like that, where a 12 to 15 mile an hour wind here really isn't that great. Like you don't really want it. So it's pretty windy. Plus when you're 20 feet up a tree stand and he's already nervous and then the wind starts blowing. I mean, this kid is holding on for dear life. I, I didn't stand up for a while when the wind is going. Did you have any trees falling over or limbs falling over? No, it, it wasn't that bad. I mean, if we were sitting in a stand the night we were on the ground during the storm, oh, absolutely. He would have he been, would been climbing there. Yeah, we would have been climbing down. If we were sitting I don't know if I tended to climb down. I probably would have just sit there and hug the tree all night until it stopped, to be honest. <laughs> I don't think I'd be getting down. I don't have enough time getting down. That, that first step from the stand to that first ladder to go down is absolutely terrifying. So it was, it was definitely a unique experience, but... I mean, if you want to relay this back to, to the original topic, I guess, finishing up this hunt swap, first off, obviously none of this would have happened without Servicide. And I really have to thank, 
I don't remember the gentleman's name that did the podcast, but it was that mule deer webinar back in June, I believe, that got me on service side, got me interested in going on these hunts. And literally from that webinar, I got the chance to meet Colin and Tim. We're sharing different hunting tactics. We're going meeting new people. And now me and Colin are really good buddies. And we've just, uh, hunting was one thing. I mean, whatever happened else besides hunting while we were at home or just hanging out, it was a blast. And we saw some crazy stuff this weekend between people crashing their cars while we were out hunting just next to the land. It was like so much stuff went on that I'm not going to go into, but we just had a crazy experience. And it's one of those things where, you know, we did this, this one time so far this year, but as of now, I mean, I'm, I'm banking on this is going to be an annual thing. Yeah. Right? Every year. Go out who knows if I go to some other States and get into some stuff and, you know, travel more, get around more. Just kind of see what happens. I want to, so, I want to ask you guys I'll, both I'll this. I want to ask you guys both this. So, Gabe, what was your favorite aspect of Nebraska? And then, Colin, what was your favorite aspect of Missouri? My favorite aspect in Nebraska, to be honest, is honestly the terrain change. It's something I'm not used to. There was something just very humbling for me to sit on. I, I would call it a cliffside, but I guess the top of one of those hills out there and being able to actually use binoculars. When I whitetail hunt and I go in the woods, I honestly leave my binoculars because I can see with my naked eye as far as I can see with binoculars versus out there. I spend 80% of my day looking through binoculars and just taking it all in. It was so fast for me and so different. I think that was the best thing other than actually hunting a different animal. It had to have been the terrain for me. Yeah, I can kind of touch on that because the terrain was really big for me. It was like, you can't see far. I think I took my bino harness, my binos every day until Gabe told me I didn't need them like yesterday. <laughs> and I, just, I was so used to having them. Like it was like the first thing I put on was my bino harness. Like I had to have these. And I realized like I never once touched them when we're in the tree stand because they're worthless at that point. Like I'm not going to see anything. I'm running 12 by 50s anyways. So. <laughs> I mean, if, even if he throws up on something, all he's going to see is the head or the tail. You can't really depict what's going and on. And like, it's not, it's not really as hunting related, but like seeing like the leaf colors change, like I don't get to see like the red leaves and how one side of the tree can be red and the other side is green or yellow. Like just the colors and the fact that deer can show up out of nowhere and they're just right there, like 20 yards, like to have a deer at six yards and not even know you're there or have no not alert or anything. It's just crazy. Like it's a whole different aspect and it changes everything I've ever known about hunting. Yeah. And dude, that's, that's what it's really about, man. It's like, once you get the confidence to like do this kind of stuff and venture out of your comfort zone, the things that you see with fresh eyes, like you said that seeing the leaf color change, it's not really about hunting, but that's, it. it is, that's exactly what hunting is about. It's like, soaking in those different surroundings that maybe you normally don't get in your area that you take for granted. And I think a lot of us, when we do kind of just stay centralized to our location or the type of game species we hunt, we end up getting blinders to those things that we miss every day. And it takes like an out of state hunt or hunting with a friend in just a different location of the state to really open your eyes back up. Yeah, I've seen more trees this past four days than I have in years. <laughs> and honestly, I'm just going to open this up quick, too. Uh, obviously, the number one reason I go out there and hunt is I just love going out and just, just seeing God's creation. It's just all the beautiful things in this world that, that the world has to offer that you don't get when you're sitting inside of a concrete jungle. It's just a way to get away, relax, just enjoy the small things. But there's also things like he brought up the leaf change. I was out there admiring that stuff. But like I said, I've been doing this for 12 years and I've grown up in northern Wisconsin where it's, in my opinion, five times prettier than what it is down here. And I've just become accustomed to it where it didn't really shock and awe me versus like when I went to Nebraska, he's used to seeing dirt hills and yuccas every day. And I was out there like, oh, my gosh, it's, it's a freaking yucca, you know, and then he comes out to Missouri and I'm like, oh, yeah, trees. And he's like, dude trees like it's just <laughs> like seeing like the light shine through tree like this evening when we're sitting in like the when the sun was setting and like you see like the light rays coming through the trees like that's something i've never seen and then hunting the hills as well this morning when the thermals were climbing we were actually in a cloud because the fog was coming out from the valley and we're on the top so we had 
early when it was it just broke light, it was easy to see. Then about 45 minutes later, I mean, we could only see 20 yards in front of us because the clouds were here. And he's like, dude, we're in a cloud. <laughs> it's definitely unique. And I, it's a really humbling experience. Like, I mean, I'm going to definitely take advantage of it more. And I'm going to try to come back to Missouri late season, um, whether I fill this tag or tomorrow or not, because I have a second tag. Um, and I definitely want to come back and, if we have luck, that's cool. If not, then it's just, it's a good experience. And I like being out here. It's just a good time hanging out. I mean, that's the whole point in the hunt swap is yeah. you don't have to kill something for it to be good hunt. Well, five months ago, I just planned on hunting and now I got a buddy that I'm hanging out with and texting all the time. And it's just, it's just something very unique that if I didn't join Servicide and really dive into this with Torin, that I just, I would have never been presented with this opportunity and who knows what would have happened this year. I mean, you would have never went whitetail hunting and no, I'd still be hunting muleys right now. Yeah. Yeah, that that is everything be different. That is one of the cool aspects for sure about the program. Um, hopefully, hopefully you do. You both are uh, you because Gabe, you're potentially considering going back out, aren't you? Uh, to to Nebraska. Yeah, correct. I we originally were kind of banking on Halloween just because I had the youth hunt, but Colin's kind of tied up out there, so we're banking on. I can't pull off anything in November. I just got a lot of stuff going on, but. December, I don't know how it's going to be, but if I can go out there for six, seven days, maybe just take a whole week off work and go out there back to back one weekend. If he's back at work or not, just I'll go out there one week and he'll come here the next. Their season ends on the 31st of December out there. Yeah, Missouri has a very long bow season. It's September 5th to January 15th. So he's got a lot of time to come back out. Nice, nice. Well, maybe we'll have to do uh, a part three. Maybe we can do once we three. actually have some some animals on the ground. Yeah, yeah. yeah that'd be, that'd be great. I think it was only a week after you left that the deer pattern finally started to improve, and we actually shot a one seventy nine. Jeez. Week after, yeah, but that was a, that was an eight hour stock. Jeez. And it, it's kind of crazy too, because you know he had that when I went out to Nebraska, the deer movement picked up after I left. And weird thing is, the deer movement was three times as good because I shot my buck last weekend. It was the sixteenth, and. Obviously, that being tagged out here, so I can take care. Of it's just different that I went out there at Deer Move Week after Deer moved a week before. It just it, obviously everything happens for a reason, and I'll say that over and over again. But honestly, that's probably why we just enjoy this experience more. A successful hunt and a harvested deer always makes things a crazy experience and a great experience. But even though we haven't punched a tag yet for him out here, me out there, we've had a hell of a time. And, and that's a hundred percent of the game too, is like, that is the number one realization that you need to have when you do an out-of-state hunt is it's not a hundred percent a success and you need to be okay with going home. So enjoy those other little aspects that you normally don't like what you guys are doing. Um, I can't stress that enough. I mean, anybody that has a chance to do a hunt spot for me is to take the advantage and opportunity for that because Without service, you're not going to get that. And like, I would have never guessed when Gabe came out to Nebraska that we would become, you know, as good of friends as we have. And then I'd be out here. Like, and now I have friends. I get more friends every day from service side. It's just nice to be able to even just to talk to the hunters, even if you're not hunting together. Right. It just, I mean, this program has been great. Anybody listening to this podcast, guys, if you have not done a hunt swap yet, plan something out whether you're you're changing turkey hunts or exchanging turkey hunts this spring setting something up for an over-the-counter hunt or something next year get out and meet people because because this is so fun and don't be opposed to public like we hunted public in nebraska for the first couple days yeah we went and hunted the private the farm and like i didn't have any care if we hunted public or private because it's still an experience you never know what you're going to come across just don't I think don't set your expectations to disappoint you. Like don't go into out of state hunt thinking, Oh, I'm going to, you know, kill something. It's going to be a giant. Right. hundred percent. What it is. Expect less, come away with more. That's, that's the mindset you guys have to have. Like me coming here thinking I'm going to shoot like a one and a half year old. Yeah. If if Colin and I were dead set on, if we don't shoot a deer, we're not going to be happy. I mean, we'd be two pretty upset guys right now, but (laughs) even though build tags and you know, the other person's state, him and I just had a blast. It's been so fun. So fun. Well, awesome. All right, fellas. Uh, do you guys want to do some uh, shout outs, social links, that kind of stuff of 
where one uh they can follow you and i know uh gabe you're doing a lot of content so where they can see your content if they have any questions about hunting missouri uh how they can get a hold of you and then colin pretty much the same deal yeah, I guess if you want to reach out to me directly, Instagram is probably the one I'll be more responsive to. I get a lot of people message me on Facebook and I may respond, I may not. It just depends on how you approach me. Instagram is probably a little better story. You can comment on my stuff, whether that's just my Gabe Denzine, which is my personal profile, or Beagle Boy Outdoors. You can see my stuff, whether it's YouTube, Instagram, uh, somehow TikTok is taking over right now on my number one platform. But and if you guys reach out, I definitely will talk to you, especially if you mentioned you're from service side. I mean, I will get back to you as soon as I can and help you out to the best of my abilities. Yeah, I'd probably, I'll pay back on that. I mean, Instagram is probably the best way. Uh, I don't check the other ones as often. Um, so Instagram, and if you mention from service side, I'll answer as fast as I can. Yeah. Help, however. So it's, it's, it's the inside scoop. I don't know if a lot of people that listen to this podcast aren't on service side, but if you were listening to this podcast, you're not on service side, get on there and it's 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 honestly just kind of a i guess a trust thing i mean yeah it, it, and it, it's almost sweet. like a, we have the discussion topics on that post up for sale i mean you can find information if you need it but yeah i would say so guys check out that stuff you can see i you see all of our nebraska hunts so far are on my channel on beagle boy outdoors i got my buck that i harvested last weekend already up on the channel um and then colin and i saw is going to be going up shortly and then i'm going to drop this podcast link into the description so you guys can kind of see what we're talking about visually along with listening to it on a podcast. That way we can only explain the trees and the terrain and stuff we were hunting. But once we able, once you're able to see that, you'll more understand what we're getting I'm at. pretty sure you have a clip of me saying muley hunters shouldn't be in tree stands. <laughs> <laughs> That's so. awesome. All right, fellas. Well, I appreciate you hopping on, um, taking the time to do this. Uh, it sounds like you had a great time. I'll have the fellas uh instagram handles and all their links for their social media in the show notes um i'll also have uh gabe's video in the show notes as well so uh fellas good luck if you get out again and reconnect like i said we'll have to do a part three if that happens um and thanks everybody for tuning in to the whitetail theories podcast